But this morning I wanted to uh, digress a little bit to take on what I think is a very pressing challenge that we face in these times. Uh, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 41, I'm sorry. Isaiah 41, we'll look at this, verse 10. The title of the lesson is simply, Fear Not, Taking on Anxiety in an Anxious World. Even though these are not the most anxious times civilization's ever seen, I would say the World War II generation has taken on more uncertainty, possibly the Vietnam generation, and seeing what was happening to America at that time. World War II also would be a time of great challenge. Uh, we are now in a new period of challenge, but has a new reality to it that we can see the challenge all over the world. As a history teacher, I get to talk about what happened in World War I and World War II, but made the point that people during that time could not see on the news every night what was happening in other parts of the world. Much information would be delayed, uh, would not be a completely accurate view, and a lot of decisions were made in warfare uh, with incomplete information. But now we see a lot of information, we have to sift through it to see whether or not it's true. Uh, we've dealt with two years of trying to figure out what's going on with COVID. Uh, we may not be out of it yet. Who knows? And there's a lot of uncertainty with the conflict we see in other parts of the world. There's uncertainty with viruses and what may or may not be on the horizon. And that's on top of our own daily struggles. Anxiety, at least within teenagers, is at an all-time high. Many of the students on my caseload have some degree of challenge with anxiety uh, and it goes from regular panic attacks to just general apprehension about coming to school. All of it's been anticipated by the COVID responses of the last two years. And it becomes an increasing challenge whether or not as a school teacher or simply a person of faith to deal with things that cause anxiety. Anxiety is very real. It is not an imagined response. It is not something just in our heads. It is something very real that our body and mind uh, are conditioned to respond to. It is response based on perceived threat or danger. That's the challenge we face. But God has equipped us to deal with things that cause extreme anxiety or even regular anxiety or nervousness. Part of the key is what we see here in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Here God is speaking to his people who is allowed to go into captivity they're eventually going to be freed from their captivity to go back to their homeland. But he tells them these words of comfort in verse 10, chapter 41. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the first thing God says to Israel is simply, do not fear. He doesn't say there's nothing to be scared of. He simply says, do not fear. And then the answer is, for I am with you, do not be dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen you. Our challenge is to see how he does that. And that is what we're going to explore this morning. We're going to look at how to take on situations that produce anxiety within us, whether it be simply going to the doctor or to the dentist, 
Uh, those are everyday examples that are very real, though. There's some people that take a degree of sedative just before they go to the dentist. And for good reason, if you think about what they're doing. Um, there are some that avoid the doctor because of the anxiety that creates within them. Here, they will not go to the source of help because it makes them very anxious just to go. There's some that will not leave the house because of the perceived danger that's out there. And there is a degree of danger when you do leave the home. But sometimes we can become shut in within our own minds if we allow anxiety to control us. Fear is a natural God-given response. There's things we ought to fear. I teach my students all the time, you need to fear the police. <laughs> uh, you need to follow the speed limit. You need to obey the laws. But anxiety, worry, extreme fear is a whole other story. That's where fear has become a friend or fear has become, in other words, an enemy, depending on how you look at it. Some have embraced fear simply going to be part of their life. But we should see it as something to be conquered where we can still fear what we should, but not be consumed by that fear. We're going to look at three things this morning on, I think, the keys to taking on fear the way God wants us to. And here's the first. Simply don't feed anxiety, starve it. Don't feed anxiety. Starve it. I want to look at perhaps the most well-known text on anxiety, which is Matthew chapter 6. Here it's Jesus addressing believers in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about simply this principle of do not worry, and we're very familiar with it. I want to look at it again to see what's said to us by Jesus himself, our Creator. No one knows us better than our Creator. Now don't tell yourself, well, I know my anxiety, and I know what I need to do. Your Creator knows better than you do and better than I do. And look what, what Jesus said, simply about worry. But I want to notice not only what He said, but how He said it, and the way He's addressing the problem. He's challenging it. He's challenging it as if it should not be there. Not that there's not things out there to be fearful of, but simply he's challenging the anxiety that can take over our body and our emotions if we become over-fearful of danger. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you O oh, you of little faith, 
Verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Powerful teaching. Let's try to look at the essence of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, it's his own direct instruction on the topic. Sometimes Jesus will instruct based on someone that appears to him as he's traveling somewhere, and he'll give teaching based on an immediate situation that arises. But this is direct, deliberately planned teaching. All of the instruction in the Sermon on the Mount is. Michael addressed it uh, last week in talking about Matthew chapter 5. And this means we should pay a special attention to it because it applies to all situations, usually when Jesus is giving direct instruction. Also, it's extended instruction. He does not just give one verse or one line on the subject. It goes all the way, verse 25 through verse 31, teaching on one subject, that is worry. Uh, third, this instruction contains commands. Three times. Jesus says, do not what? Do not worry. He says it in verse 25, verse 28, and also verse 31. When Jesus tells you something three times, how well should we pay attention to it? Uh, very close. I, I would imagine we should pay uh, attention to it. Uh, but a lot of times we're comfortable with worry. You ever heard someone say, oh, I'm just a worrier. I'm just a worrier. This is our most comfortable sin. It is our most comfortable sin. And then we don't bother telling anyone about it. Because we figure it's just something that, it's kind of something we want to work on, but we don't have to take it too seriously. Jesus said three times, don't do it. Don't do it. He doesn't say don't be scared of anything. He doesn't say walk close to the cliff and, and see what will happen. He says do not worry. He forces us to confront our fears. This is a challenging text. He throws out, consider the flowers. Consider their splendor. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look how they're taken care of by their Heavenly Father. And will He not much more clothe you? He is kind of getting in our face, if you will, to use the language of the day, about this problem of worry or consuming anxiety. And He simply asks us, why do you worry? Why do you do this? Can you add even one hour to your life? Can you do anything to meaningfully improve your life by worry? So our challenge is to take it on. I think the first way, and this requires little biblical instruction, is simply to starve it out. Uh, in terms of some of the behavioral therapists I work with, with students, they work on extinguishing behaviors. Uh, you can't always, in the school context, punish students for things, but you can extinguish things by simply changing the situation where bad behaviors or responses continue to go out simply because they're not being fed. Sometimes teachers are their own worst enemies with students. You keep giving a lot of attention to the disruptive students. That's exactly what they want, usually because they're not getting it at home. 
So they're going to act out. And if you get all upset every day in class, that's exactly what they want. You're feeding that. So you have to learn how to extinguish the behavior, uh, but yet keep on teaching. I want to give nine practical suggestions just for starving anxiety before we ever do anything Jesus told us to do about it that we're going to look at the rest of the lesson. Here are nine practical suggestions. If you just want to try to put fear in its proper place in your life. First of all, number one, limit media exposure. Limit media exposure. Whether that be watching the news at night, listening to talk radio, and whether you're left or right, uh, you're getting a message that feeds into something you already believe. And right now we're being bombarded in the news with Facebook video from what's going on in uh, you, the Ukraine, and it is awful. And there is great uncertainty. I've switched all my lesson plans in my history classes to talk about what's going on over there and why. Because we have to understand it. So we can't just deny it, but there is a lot of uncertainty about what will happen next. And it's not going to end anytime soon. But that doesn't mean we have to run to the TV and turn it on every time when we first get home, or stay up at night watching and listening to the voices and listening to the, the, the fear and the, the voices that are intentionally ratcheted up to draw our attention. Limit that exposure. Watch less. Listen to less. I tell my mother, I hope she's not going to listen to this. I tell her, just turn the volume off. You can still watch TV. She wants to know what's going on. I say, I'll just turn the volume off or way down and you'll be a lot better. I love the news as much as anyone, but it'll create fear faster than anything. But you can starve it by limiting your exposure. Exercise to change body chemistry. There's times where I felt fear in my life, that anxiety. It's an awful feeling. Anxiety is awful. And the first thing I did when I felt it, I put on my tennis shoes and I went walking down the street as fast as I could. I wanted to get that awful feeling out of me. And a lot of times just exercise can change your body chemistry where that awful feeling that anxiety creates can be dissipated if not taken away altogether. And I would walk back 30 minutes later feeling a lot better. Amen. Nothing changed other than I changed my body chemistry by getting out. because I did not want to make anxiety my friend. Amen. I wanted it out as quick as I could. Number three, experience soothing music and scenery. There's a lot of beautiful videos on YouTube, beautiful scenery. I use my classes all the time to bring my classes in on a nice quiet level when they start. They're, they're playing when the students enter in. Soothing music. I go to bed at night listening. Lately, two wonderful songs, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. I found it on Amazon Music. Just I put my AirPods in and I can just listen to that and it's just calm. Even just because I'm thinking about too many things, it will calm me. If you need to get out to the ocean, go out to places where God's created them. Get away from the screen if you need to. Expose yourself to soothing music and scenery, and that helps. And this is all without any biblical teaching. These are just nine great things to do. Write your thoughts in a journal. If you find your mind consumed with things, write them down in a journal, and that is getting them out of your mind and processing them in a healthy way. Socially distance from fearful people. If you find yourself around fear-addled people too much, where they've made fear their friend and they want to make fear your friend too. Socially distance from them. Don't make them uh, your enemy. Don't avoid them, but just limit your exposure to them. Lest you become consumed by them. Accept that no answer is okay. 
A lot of times anxiety tells us, oh, I've got to have an answer to this problem in five minutes. I need to have my doctor tell me exactly what I need to do for the next three years. Or I need to know what's going on in Europe. And I need to have that answer next week. And there is no immediate answer to some of life's most pressing problems. And that is okay. Accept that no answer is okay. Don't think you have to have all the answers. Look for what is good. Look for what is good. I didn't say eliminate watching the news. There's a lot of times there are good stories where people have helped other people. And they're running to the aid of people that have gotten in trouble. And the news will report those. Focus on those. They will not be the first story ever. But they will be about 20 minutes into the broadcast if you come back to the news. There are a lot of good things to find. I see good things at school all the time. But I see a lot of students doing wrong things too. But I try to look for the good when someone compliments or helps another student. Even the simple things where someone offers a pencil to someone that just said, Mr. Mulligan, I don't have a pencil. And another student will help them before I will. That's a good thing. And if your life is full of good things, you will starve out anxiety because you have so much good. And if you're doing all these things, anxiety is going to keep running into unlocked doors in your life. Or locked doors that it can't get in. Focus on what is good. I grew up, uh, my mom uh, loved getting Reader's Digest. She put them in the bathroom. And uh, all kinds of interesting stories. But Reader's Digest, even though it's been around forever, it has a lot of good things. A lot of stories about good things that people have done and do that are very heartwarming. This whole world is not awful, but if you allow anxiety to consume you, it will feel awful. Because you'll think, it's only bad, and it's just getting worse. Where there's actually a lot of good that gets very little airtime. And engage in what is good. If things are awful around you, work on changing it. Write cards to people who have situations worse than you do. And there's always someone who has had it worse than you do, and, or has it worse. You engage in writing cards, making calls, sending emails, where you're reaching out of your own troublesome circumstance. You will begin to starve out anxiety. And that's what I believe Jesus is doing in this text. By saying, why are you doing this? You're not adding anything to your life. Look at the birds, look at the grass and the fields. He's trying to push anxiety out simply by getting in our face about it. By saying, this is simply not to be part of the life of God's people. Be scared of things, yes, but don't be consumed with anxiety. We have to starve it out. And definitely don't feed it by taking in things that create it. Number two, accept that God both allows and uses events. Accept that God both allows and uses events. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I want to see an amazing scene that's very brief. But it captures our life and what we need to come to terms with as far as what we're going to experience. A lot of times we believe that, well, there can't be anything bad happen to us if we're a believer. We, we, we shouldn't enter into awful circumstances. Well, we will. We will. James says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if you do. But when you do, it's going to be an experience. But I want to notice Jesus' response to it 
and the lesson we're to learn. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 beginning. We'll go through the end of the chapter. Verse 35, Mark 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Verse 37, a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, what? Sleeping. Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? There's anxiety. Don't you care if we drown? They're with Jesus. Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet or peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Powerful scene. First of all, Verse 35, going back, it says, When evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. He means the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's putting them into this situation. He's the one directing it. He's putting them into the situation in which a storm is going to arise. They get into a boat, an inherently unstable <laughs> force, uh, form of transportation. Uh, I remember taking uh, my daughters out when they were small in San Diego, out on a boat. And they, we were leaving the channel, and the minute we hit the ocean, uh, my daughter Taylor, she got so nervous, and those waves, it felt completely different than what the harbor felt like. And she didn't have any sense of security. It was so awful for her. We just turned the boat around that I just rented for an hour, um, turned the boat around, went back into the harbor, and clearly that was a terrifying thing to her. And there's nothing I was going to say as her dad to make her feel better at the moment. But here they are, because you feel kind of helpless in a boat. And that's exactly the way Jesus' disciples felt. So the furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat. I've never been in a boat where the waves have come up over, but I've seen video of it, and I don't want to be in that situation. It says it was nearly swamped. But then Jesus, where is he? He's in the back of the boat, not steering furiously. I'll get you through this, but he's what? He's sleeping. And then to add it, detail, Mark says, on a cushion, just to confirm that he's completely comfortable in the storm. They wake him up full of anxiety. Don't you care if we drown? Then he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says, quiet or peace, be still. And it was completely calm. Two things I want to notice from the scene. First of all, Jesus allowed the storm. He allowed it. In fact, he took them into it. Now don't think, well, how could he do that? We're supposed to have a problem-free life if we're with Jesus. I don't know that verse anywhere. That believers are promised a problem-free life. That somehow you get a get-out-of-problem-free card. In fact, it may be the opposite. 
Because we can handle it and we have the tools and Jesus equips us, He takes us to places others cannot handle. Simply to strengthen us. And I'm sure that's what He's doing with His disciples here. He's intending to strengthen them. So He took them into a storm. So He'd allowed it. So the first thought when awful things happen that create anxiety or things we perceive as awful is to first realize God is allowing this. God is not surprised by this. This is nothing that's unusual to Him. But just that reality, knowing that God is allowing that also means He's aware of it. The God who created a world, the God who can control the winds and the waves is allowing a circumstance which means it's not going to get the best of us. It's not going to invoke something in our life that He does not intend or allow. Now that doesn't mean it's going to get automatically better quickly all the time. But He certainly allows circumstances, even if they do not turn out as we want. Just the fact that God allows things is a source of immeasurable comfort. For non-believers that believe we're in a world of chance, that we're the product here of a giant chemical explosion, and that everything is happening just by chance, that is fearful. Because you don't know why anything happens. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. You don't know any answer to it other than just fear. And I guarantee you what's going on in Europe right now is fearful. And if you know the history of World War II and World War I, when things break out in that part of the world, it tends not to fix itself quickly. It gets worse before it gets better. But the fact that God is allowing these things, even though we don't know why and it hurts our heart at times to see painful things, the fact that God allows it gives us comfort that things are not out of control, which does produce anxiety if you perceive things are out of control. Number two, he stilled the storm. God has power to change the very things that cause anxiety. That doesn't mean He always will. You don't find Jesus all the time going around stilling storms in the Gospels. He did it on certain occasions to make the point that He has power over them. And that again is a source of great comfort. Not only that God is allowing something, but He has power to change it. And that is why we pray, which we'll see in just a moment. God has power to do something about the very thing that troubles us, but just the fact that He allowed it and it's going on means there's some purpose to it. Or He's trying to bring something out of it. And that is a source of comfort. That means I can accept it on some level without being psychologically traumatized by it. Or enslaved by the accompanying anxiety that wants to join the uncertain things of our life. I want to just mention briefly five things God allows and uses. Look at Romans chapter 8. This is a chapter of great comfort. There's so many things I love to, to focus on. We're just going to focus on uh, what we're told can happen in life, but how that none of these things will separate us from the love of God. We're going to start verse 28. I know in the notes it says verse 31. We'll start with verse 28. I just want to read this text and not get in the way of any verse. But just allow this teaching to settle in. That focus, when we get to verses 31 through 39, about the things 
that cannot doom us despite their happening. Verse 28 beginning, Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who He predestined, He also called and those he called, he also glorified or justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble Hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a powerful text, worthy of weeks of studying, but... Just notice for a moment, God is telling us He is not neutral. He is not some unbiased umpire in the sky. He is for us. He is on our side in this life. And that puts us in the position, He says here, of being more than conquerors. Then He goes on to say, who shall separate us? Or He can say, what shall separate us from the love of God? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword... Then he skips to life, death, angels, demons, things in the present, future, any powers, height or depth, anything else. They cannot separate us from the love of God. Which means God allows us and uses. He allows and uses things that are even the most troublesome. Evil. He talks here about how the demons or persecution cannot separate us from the love of God. He allows it. But those things alone cannot separate us from God. Accidents, that would be trouble and hardship that Paul mentions, they happen. We are not promised protection from all these things. But despite them happening, we can know that God allowed this and He expects us to do something now that this has happened. Conflict with other people, that would be trouble and hardship. Relationships break at times. Times they are severed, they are greatly tested. 
People don't speak to each other. There's pain and tears associated with them. Those are things that God simply allows. But He also uses to strengthen us, to empower us, and to show us that we might show others how to deal with these awful things. He allows pain, that would be famine, nakedness, sword, danger. Just isolate pain for a moment. We don't want pain. When I go to the dentist, the first thing I'm concerned with, if I'm getting a crown or any kind of work, I want that little cotton swab put on my gum to protect me from the pain of the needle that is providing um, relief from the pain that will come with the drill. I want all those steps in place. And I have a good dentist that I drive 20 miles to for 30 years just because I've had pain-free dentistry. I don't want pain. But we know that pain tells us something is wrong. And if we didn't experience pain in different places at different times, we would just go on and not treat things that need to be addressed. We know that is true physically with our bodies. It also is true relationally. Where there's pain in relationships that tells us something needs to be fixed. Something needs to be worked on. And that gives us some insight on why God allows pain. It's so that we'll address things that are otherwise destructive and hurtful. Even death itself, which Paul says when he mentions neither life nor death, is a reality that we have to deal with. But as we're talking about Sunday mornings, death is not the end. Death for the believer is simply the entryway into eternity that we have to go through. So what God is calling us to do here before we go to our final point is simply to accept the reality of very difficult, painful things and know that God allows them, but He also is using them. And the most faithful Christians I know ask this question when pain comes into their life. What does God want me to do with this? What does He want me to do with it? Because they're determined not to allow anxiety to rule them. Because anxiety is always there waiting to rule, to consume. But those who ask, what does God want me to do with this? Fight off anxiety to much greater success. Number three, our last point. Take your fears to the one who controls it all. Unaddressed fear becomes anxiety. Unaddressed fear becomes anxiety. We've got to do something with fear. We cannot sit on it. We can't just wait for it to go. We have to take it to the one who controls it. Remember what the disciples, even in their fear, said to Jesus there in the boat? Don't you care that we perish? They're at least going to the right person. They're lacking in faith, but they know who to go to. They go to the one who controls it all. And later on they make the conclusion, even the winds and the waves obey him. And that great hymn, Master the Tempest is Raging, is written based on this very scene we looked at. So our response and responsibility is to take our fears to the one who controls it all. Let's walk through three of the most promising and powerful texts in all of Scripture that tell us what to do 
when fearful circumstances come. First off, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Very short, very simple, but very powerful. Peter writes, cast all your anxiety on him. Because why? He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's work at this verse backwards. First of all, it says he cares for you. That was the point Jesus made in Matthew chapter 6. God knows, Jesus said, that you need all these things. God is the only one that's completely aware of our circumstances. He is the only one that's completely aware. He saw it coming. He saw the news coming before you got the news. No one cares about your circumstances more than your Heavenly Father. Not your doctor, not your friends, and not your family. No one cares more. There's a lot of people that care a lot. And don't minimize the care of other people. But no one cares more and knows more about what you're going through than your Heavenly Father. What Peter tells as an apostle of Jesus Christ is cast all of your care on him because he cares for you. This is telling us to take our concerns to the Father. That means pour out what you're feeling in prayer to God. That alone in and of itself is comforting to get those thoughts and feelings out. One thing that psychologists know for sure is you've got to vent. When you're consumed with things, just like if you ate something bad, you've got to get it out. You have to do that emotionally as well. And the person to take it to first and foremost is your heavenly father. Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. And he's not someone being paid hundreds of dollars an hour to listen. He is someone who created you, that loves you, that's invested the life of his son in you. No one can and no one is willing to do more than your heavenly father. That's why Peter says, cast all of your care on him because he cares for you. Knowing God is aware, pray knowing God is aware and that he cares. Number two, pray about situations you can do nothing about. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 We want, even the, the hardiest of us, want to do something. Even those who uh, resist anxiety pretty well feel like they have to do something. If I just do something, that will take away the fear. And a lot of times that helps. We need to get out and do things to take on our anxiety. But some things there are, with some things we can't do a whole lot about. And with my students this last week, we've been going through all the different options the United States has with the problem in Ukraine. We went through about five of them. But we also went through, here's the good and bad of the option if the United States takes it. Here's the good of what could happen, and here's the bad. And they got to see very well why the United States has not just sent soldiers over there. <laughs> here's what could happen. We've talked about doing nothing, the good and bad of doing nothing. We've talked about the good and bad of assassination. We've talked about the good and bad of helping out Ukraine and, 
And they're seeing there's no easy answer. That might be one that is better than others, but there's no easy answer to this problem that may well get worse before it gets better. But here is God's answer for how we respond to it as we see these frightful, troublesome images every day now on TV. Paul writes in the first century to Timothy, a preacher, and he says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. First of all, verse 1, Paul says, I urge... Not I suggest, I urge, then first of all, not third of all, or not after you've watched the news, but first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in authority, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives. Our first response to what we're seeing unfold in Europe ought to be prayer to the one who controls it all. Clearly, he's allowing what's happening. That doesn't mean he's approving. Just because God allows things does not mean he approves of those things. But he's allowing it, and he's the only one that can truly control outside of a person's own decision. Well, Paul says to Timothy, you'd be teaching God's people to pray for the people involved. Pray for kings, verse 2, and all those in authority that we might live not war-filled lives, but what? Peaceful lives in all quietness. I fear, because I know it's true in my life, that I'm watching far more TV and listening to far more media sources than I am spending time praying about what's going on over there. Because I love being captivated by the imagery and my emotions become inflamed and, oh, we got to do something. But then I go about my way many times. Paul says here, you pray about it. Even though it's in a distant land, you pray for those in authority that do have the power to stop or start things. You take those things to God in prayer. He will work in His time and in His ways on the circumstance. And things will never happen in our timetable or the way we think they ought to. But God does work, and that's what we're told to do. Pray that He will work in the hearts and the lives of those who are the instigators in these circumstances. And those who need protection. Last, pray and wait for peace. Philippians chapter 4. Look at this text of great promise. And then we'll close. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A couple observations from this text. First of all, 
Paul says just what Jesus taught. Do not be anxious. He doesn't say do not be scared of things. Don't be fearful. He says don't be anxious. Anxious is the embodiment of an all-consuming, body-rattling and emotionally rattling fear that won't go away. Things can be fearful out there, but he says, don't be anxious about it. Don't let that consume you. But he says here, in every situation, that's whether you face the doctor or you face what's going on in Europe, in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present those requests to whom? The person right next to you in the lazy boy? Do you know what's happening? No, he says, present those things to God in prayer. And then this great promise, verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace that comes through taking things to God in prayer. Yes, sometimes there's a place and there's a role for medications when anxiety is all-consuming and there may be other explanations that physicians need to address. And I'm a great proponent of doing that. If someone needs professional help, they need to seek it out and they need to be encouraged to get it. But in many cases, the answer is simply to take things to God in prayer and to learn to make that a practice. And when knowing you've taken things to the one who controls the winds and the waves, you will find the peace that transcends all understanding. Because you've taken it to the most powerful one who cares more than anyone. Life can go on knowing you've done all you can. It's in the hands of the ones who can do it all. It's in the hands of the one who can do it all. That is the peace that you and I have. But as an old hymn says, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't become your own worst enemy. Don't neglect the very things that are the answers to things that plague you. But this morning, you say, I want this peace. And I want to be able to trust in God. I, I want to know He's in my life the way these scriptures promise. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus. You have to come to Him. Outside, there's fear, there's danger, there's lack of control and lack of purpose. But with Jesus, you have direction. Your life is in His hands. And therein is your life safe. Knowing that even do, though things do happen, there's one who will see you through it all and bring you out safe on the other side. We're ready to help you as a church here to talk to you more about what might be involved in your life to come to give your life fully to Jesus Christ, to believe in Him with all your heart and to put your faith and trust in Him, to repent from sin, to believe that He is the Son of God. You can be baptized to have your sins taken away and enjoy this new life where you can pray to God and take things to your Heavenly Father knowing your relationship is secure with Him. Won't you pursue that today? If you pursued it in the past but you need to redirect yourself the right way, there's always opportunity to do the right thing. When will you take the first step? If you want to now, I want you to do so. As together we stand and sing this song to encourage you.